I was speaking to his father the other day, who was at a recent concert he did, and of course they're playing tonight at Glastonbury. And um, uh, he said that the whole of the thousands that were there were singing this song, Awake My Soul, Awake My Soul. And he said, I'm not sure they were aware what they were singing. For you are made to meet your maker. Awake my soul. And you know, that's, that's surely the greatest call on our lives. The, the, the first greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Awake my soul. Awake my soul that, that, that my eyes would be focused on my Savior, that my heart would be turned to my Savior, that my life would reflect my Savior. It's, you know, Christianity, some people seem to make it terribly complicated. I'm a bear of little brain. It seems to me terribly simple. God just wants to know us and wants us to know him. And he gave his son that we might do that, that, that we might know our Heavenly Father, that we might know a consistency and a constancy in our lives that can only come from a life with God. Jesus, in in probably his most famous talk in his uh, Sermon on the Mount, crowds were gathering. It says, one day he saw the crowds gathering. Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down and his disciples gathered around him. And he began to teach them, God blesses those who are poor and realize, realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they'll be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Awake my soul. Awake my soul for you are made to meet your maker. And, and when, we, when we listen to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's a marvelous thing really. It's, it's, a, it's a story that is, is teaching that says, you know, you know, God's got a hand open to us if we would draw near to him. God's got a hand open to us as we walk humbly as we're called to before him. God's got a hand open to us if we will live lives of service. God's got a hand open to us if we hunger and thirst for justice. God's got a hand open to us if we are merciful and show mercy. And then All of a sudden, I can imagine Jesus looking out amongst the crowd, all these people that have gathered around him. And and so far they're listening and they're thinking, oh, this is marvelous. This is my God. God's going to bless us if we would search after him. And then he changes tack and he says this. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You. So far he's been saying, this is God. 
God blesses those. This is God. This is a picture of God. This is how God wants to work in your life. This is how God, God wants to embrace you. God wants to include you. God wants to walk with you. And he's painted this wonderful picture of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And he suddenly changes tack and he says, and you are the salt of the earth. And all of a sudden it's like, what, what us? <laughs> we thought it was about God. And he says, no, you're the salt of the earth. And, and then he rubs the salt in. Because he says this, but what good is it if salt has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. What good is it if we lose that sense of the presence of God? Friends, if, if, you, if you were to put a list of the top 10 things that's really important in the church, we'd think, well, Evangelism's really important, isn't it? Because we've got to go out and tell the good news. And, and, and mercy ministry is really important because we've got to go out and help those who are, are struggling in different areas in life. Justice is really important. That's got to be right high up on the agenda. Worship of God's really important because he calls us to do that and we'll do that for eternity. Love is crucial because that's how we're called to live our lives. Service is really important because we're called to serve. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for men. Mark 10.45 all of these things are right up there but you know what is right at the top right at the very top is awake my soul pursue your heavenly father pursue an intimacy in relationship with God that's right at the top that's number one because if we don't have that as number one the other things won't happen if that is not the number one thing in our lives, that actually we want to live our lives reflected in the light of the goodness of Jesus Christ, if we live our lives reflected in his goodness, if we don't do that, we, we, everything else we do is, is just but a, a little drop in the ocean. But he says, if you do it, if you do it in, in my love, if you do it in my name, if you do it in my service, if you do it with my justice, Awake my soul, he says, for you are made to meet your maker. The crowds are gathered because, because Jesus had been traveling around and, and we know from chapter four that he's healed many people and it says this, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. And people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. I love that. I love that little verse. We, say, we can read these things, can't we? You know, you name these different instances of healing in Scripture and different instances of God at work. And here's a little verse here that just says that as far as Syria, people became, soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And he says, and he healed them all. That's a throwaway line, isn't it? That, that he healed them all. They came, he healed them all. But he says, this is more important. The man lowered down through the roof. You know the story well from Mark chapter two. Brought by his friends, as Gavorg, he's carrying his work buddy on his mat at the moment. 
just going out to meet him. Those who don't yet know God. These four, they carry their friend, paralyzed guy, a paralyzed guy, and they take the roof apart above Jesus. They're so desperate to get their friend to Jesus. They're so desperate because they know following this what Jesus can do, that actually the paralyzed can get up and walk. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus doesn't do that straight away, does he? He looks at him and he sees a greater need within him. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Know your maker. Awake my soul. Awake my soul. Awake my soul that we would know our maker. We would know the one who calls us. And then of course, he says that you may know that I am the son of God, that I have authority. He says to the man, get up and walk. The crowds here, they'd gathered because they saw that Jesus had the answer to their immediate personal needs. And lots of people come to Jesus because of immediate personal needs. And he comes and meets us and meets so many of those needs. He, he, he provides schooling for children. There's, a, there's an example today. He, he does all sorts of things for us in all sorts of ways. He puts people in our way that we can connect with them. I got home last night. I'd been up at St. Paul's Cathedral and, and uh, we stopped at Cafe Nero on the way back. Uh, it was insisted on by my wife. We stopped at Cafe Nero, so we bought teas and cold, you know, frothy drinks for certain young people and that sort of thing. And, and we did all of that and then I walked out of Cafe Nero. I'd, we'd, I'd paid at the counter. I went over to the little bar, you know, the little bar where they have the milk and all of that sort of stuff. And I, all I wanted to do was take my tea bag out my bag, my cup, that's all I wanted to take my tea bag out, put, it, put the lid on, I walked out, and I left my wallet full of cash I'd just taken out, with the credit card still sticking out, on the top. I got on the train, got home, got home and I thought, you know, I haven't seen my wallet. So I wonder where my wallet, I said to Linz, I said, I think, I think someone's stolen my wallet. So I, I, I thought maybe I'd left it in Cafe Nero. So I phoned them. I said, has anybody handed in a wallet? They said, no. I thought, oh, no. So I phoned up the bank. Well, I was phoning up the bank. They put me on hold. I was thinking, if this, this was a, an emergency and someone stolen my wallet, I was on hold for a long time. <laughs> Don't get your wallet stolen. That's what and as I'm on the phone, I've got my wallet stolen, I suddenly thought, I know where I left it. I left it on that little counter. So I said to Linz, I said, I'm not getting off the phone to Barclays because they put me on hold again. It's going to cost even more. So I'm going to wait here. And if you've lost your wallet, you don't want to spend even more money than what's just disappeared. So I, so I said, you, you, phone, you phone Cafe Nero. Phone them. Said, he's, he's remembered where he left it. He left it on the counter by the door an hour and a half earlier. The guy walked over and said, oh, yes, here it is. Here it is. Put it in. I went up last night to get it and they closed so I went up again this morning to get it and I went, walked in and I said to the lady I said I, I'm the guy who left the wallet here she said oh yes we've got it here gave me the wallet and a cup of coffee to go home with there's a cafe near I'll give them a shout tonight you know the thing is the thing is the thing is the thing is I, I think God looks after the little things for us sometimes they're, they're, he's a God who's a faithful God 
He's a God you can invite into every part of your life, every part of your every day. And he says what we've got to do is to know him. That's all he asks of us. All he asks of us is that we pursue a relationship with him. Everything else comes after that. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added afterwards. And these people, they'd, they'd sought after him because they knew that he could do stuff with their lives. And he comes and he says, you, you're the salt of the earth. He doesn't stop there. He says, you're also the light of the world. He says, it's not just about coming to me. It's about knowing me. There's something richer and deeper than just coming to me. There's something richer and deeper than just coming and hoping your prayers will be answered. There is a a golden stream further in. There's something more you can step into in a relationship with me. We're called to be people who are agents of change. We're called to be people who bring the kingdom of God. We're called to be people who, who act as salt in the earth. Act as salt. In other words, where you go in your workplace, where you go in your school or your college or your home, where you go, you're to be a change agent all the time. You are the salt of the earth. He says, that's you. That's why he's given us his spirit. He said, it's for us to do. We're there. That's our commission. That's what we're called to do. But he says, what use is it if salt has lost its flavor? That's what I really want to think about. What, is it if, what good is it if we've lost our flavor? What good is it if we're not like Jesus? What good is it if we don't speak like Jesus? What good is it if we don't look like Jesus? Not physically, but as we see others. What good is it? What good is it if, if we're not like him? That, that's what he's saying. What good is it if, if you've lost the flavor of Christ in your life? How, how, how do we strengthen ourselves in that? How do we find that flavor? How do we become more like Christ in who we are? Well, I, I, I think we've got to be people who are who of course are committed to unity. We've got to live as a radical community of Christ where we're known for our love for one another. There's a challenge. We've got to be people who are committed to justice. We've got to be people who are committed to, to mercy. We've got to be people who are committed to prayer and to reading God's word. But first and foremost, we've got to be people who are committed to loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. I love you, Lord. That's what we've got to be committed to. I was absolutely shocked this morning. My wife was preaching this morning. I was shocked. Shocked to silence. I couldn't believe it in the first service. And then she said it again in the second service. And I thought, it must be true. And she told the story of when she was five years old. And she stole some chalk from her school. I sat there and thought, I didn't know I was married to a thief. 
And she said this, she said she walked home, she stole it. She, she was five years old. That's in those days when you were five. Some of you aren't old enough for this, but when you, were, you just used to walk to school and you'd walk home from school. She used to walk home at lunchtime for her lunch and then go back afterwards and there was none of this parents on the gates, you know, parents just send you off in the morning. And uh, she said on the way home at lunchtime, she said her heart just started beating and she thought, what have I done? What have I done? I've stolen some chalk. What have I done? And she said she couldn't bear it. And so she took it back again at lunchtime and she said when no one else was looking, she went into the cupboard and she put it back in the pile of chalk that was there so that she could return it. She said that she said she'd learned at that moment and she's never done it ever since. So I learned that moment, stealing's not a good thing. I know because I'm married to her that she lives that. She has such a pure heart. And any time, any time there's an anxiety or a problem or anything else, she, she prays like a Trojan. She just prays and prays and prays. She's so holy, I find it irritating. Does anybody else know someone like that? You think, this is, can't you just have a few faults? You know, she just prays and prays and prays and prays and prays. That's what God wants us to be like. He wants us just to pursue him, to know him, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, to having our souls woken up, for we were made to meet our maker. And of course there are certain key things we can put into place and, you know, we need to be self-controlled, we need to have, live lives where we're fasting regularly, where we're reading the word of God regularly, where we're praying regularly. You know these things, don't you? They're, they're, they're key things that we need in our lives. They're, they're key markers that we've all got to do. But, but doing them's no good if we're not pursuing God with our hearts. If we're not saying, I want to love the Lord our God but he doesn't stop there. He says, let your light shine. Let people see your good and noble deeds. You know, sometimes, sometimes uh, uh, I, I think many people will look at the church and think, well, I'm not sure about it. I, I had a lovely conversation with somebody yesterday at St. Paul's Cathedral, actually. I've seen this lady walk past our house. Almost every day I see her walk past. And um, uh, she was in the choir at St. Paul's Cathedral. I thought, oh, I know her. She walks past our house every day. So afterwards, I sought her out, and uh, I went along to see her, and I said, uh, nice to meet you, and uh, you come past my house every day in Ella's Road, and she said, oh yes, well, I live in Campbell, and I said, oh right, well it's nice to meet you, and um, uh, she said, oh what are you doing here? So I said, well I'm here for the ordination, and you know, we've got supporting a guy who's being ordained today, and uh, I said, which church do you go to? She told me her church, she said, which church do you go to? I said, well, I go to St. Paul's in Ridley Avenue. She said, oh, oh, she said, that's everything I don't like about church. They're <laughs> that church, they're just so over the top about God. I thought, wow, how did you get in the choir? That was my thinking, what are you doing? You're leading in worship, you should be over the top about God. We're everything she doesn't like. I was thinking, wow. That's a sad thing, really. But this is, this is a thing. This is a thing. This is a thing. 
it, 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 it's not about it's not about the style of worship. It's not about anything. It's about our hearts. That's what it's about. She told me a church she went to. I said, that's a marvellous church. It's a marvellous church. And I know the vicar and he's a marvellous man. You're going to a great place. And she said, well, you can come and join us. I said, well, I'm quite committed to St. Paul's. (laughs) I can't go anywhere else. Well, she she may not like our style of worship. She may not like our passion for God. She may, she may not like the, the, the busyness of the place. But, but the one thing she did say, but that church does do a lot for people in the community. More than my church. And we could learn from you. I said, yeah. You see, because it says here, and I like this. It says here, You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Don't lose your saltiness. Be someone who pursues passionately your saviour Jesus and from that place let the light that's within you because you pursue him that's where the light comes from because you pursue him the light that's within you will flood out of you and as it floods out of you people will see your life and they may not enjoy some styles of worship but they cannot deny the kingdom of God at work in a wider community. And I would love us to pray tonight. I'd love us to pray, literally, that prayer, awake my soul. I know, I know Marcus who's written that. And he wrote that because he believes it. And there's been all sorts of things in the press about him and his faith and everything else. Um, And anybody who's interested in in music and read any of that, you'll know some of the arguments about that. But Marcus is a committed Christian. And he lives in and works in an industry where he wants to continue to witness to Christ and therefore has to do it carefully. But I think when you read the lyrics of his songs, it comes through again and again and again. And when he leads a concert and has 10,000 people with their arms in the air going, awake my soul. He says he thinks it's worship. And it's a prayer to God. But often people don't even know they're praying it. But we do know we're praying it. And I don't know about you, but I always think I could do with getting even closer to God. Anybody else here like that? Anybody else here this evening that thinks, you know, I need my soul awoken a bit more? I could do with pursuing something of the holiness of God that, that I would, that light would, bright, would burn brighter within me, that, that something of God would shine out from me.